Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. You're with Money FM 89.3. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Asia-Pacific markets are trading in the green this morning on the back of gains on Wall Street overnight. Tokyo and Sydney are both trading up one and a quarter percent. Seoul is up one percent as well. Investors are keeping a close eye on Alibaba's shares this morning as it has reported better than expected earnings. That is a clue for up or down, which we will play very shortly. But first, joining me now as we break down all the market action. Good Friday morning, Ryan Huang. TGIF, Michelle. And to you. Let's start this morning with stories of two scams, one in Singapore, the other in China. China, plus and a case of alleged market manipulation in the United States. The story in China involves four banks and has sparked protests in Henan province. As for the US and Singapore headlines, the companies and cases may be well known to you, but new details have emerged. And the angles are definitely new. All right, enough suspense. Over in the US, the case of alleged market manipulation, which appears headed for court, involves Elon Musk. And the scam here at home features the region's second biggest bank, OCBC. You may recall back in January, some 800 OCBC consumers were victims of a phishing scam. Initial reports said they lost 8 million. It turns out that tally topped 13 million. Ryan, remind us what happened and how the OCBC consumers were cheated. Yeah, those really dark days for OCBC. Almost 800 customers were affected and this involved... $13.7 million being lost by a spate of phishing scams. So this happened sometime last year, around December, was when we got reports coming out that there was victims receiving unsolicited SMSs purportedly to be from the bank. And of course, these were spoofed. So you get an SMS and at the top, you might believe it to be from OCBC because they are able to spoof the handle on who it's being delivered from. So that's why some people were taken by the scam and they click on the link in the message and it brings them to a website that looks like an OCBC website and then they key in their banking account details and then the scam continues in variations where they try and convince you to transfer more money or give them a password and then in most cases, it just leads to the money being transferred very fast out of your account and many of these victims could not react fast enough, could not get a bank to react fast enough and they lost their money. But I guess the good news is uh, most of them, uh, all of them, managed to get their money back because of the goodwill payments from OCBC. Uh, that's right. And while the bank admitted that its customer service and response time fell short and it did reimburse consumers out of what it said was goodwill, it did not accept full responsibility. An independent review is out and published by the Monetary Authority of Singapore. Ryan, what does this review say about OCBC's culpability? Okay, so when... Everything was settling down. OCBC finally engaged an independent firm to review its systems and processes. And what it uncovered was, like you pointed out, deficiencies in the bank's mitigation of identified risks, pre- and post-transaction controls, incident management, and complaints handling, all of them resulting in delays in containment measures and customer response time. If you looked at the stories and reports coming out during that stretch, a lot of them were complaining, hey, I could not get into my account. I could not get hold of someone to lock my account. And this was just unfolding as, in some cases, they're holding onto the phones, talking to the scammers. And that was a, a huge source of frustration for many customers. Mm. And I think the report kind of reflects what happened when 
no, there was not enough immediacy or fast enough reaction time from the bank. And the MASS, pretty much what OCBC found from its own review was what they also found in their own assessment. So what happened ultimately is now the MAS has slapped an additional requirement in terms of additional capital requirement that OCBC needs to put up $330 million. So this is something that will possibly just make it more cautious about what it needs to do to mitigate future scenarios. So the minimum amount of capital or the capital requirement is something that all banks have to put aside. And this is relative to the size and riskiness of the bank's operations. So in this case, the MS has decided that OCBC needs to put aside more because of what it deems to be, I guess, a more higher level of risk. And it will take the form typically of equity or retain earnings. So something to watch out for when it comes to dividends, but at least for now, OCBC says there will not be any impact on its dividend policy. And the other implications is the investment prospects because now you have money tied up in the back end and you can't have as much free cash to splash as you might want to. This is going back to the independent review of bank systems and processes. And I think for anybody who's waited on the line in vain, hoping to speak to a human being when something urgent has come up, hopefully what's been found encourages other banks to also look at how they resolve customer complaints, look at the time it takes for them to handle complaints as well. Back to OCBC, after the phishing scam played out, government officials said in future, banks and consumers may each have to bear some responsibility for losses. So be careful, don't share your online banking details or the one-time PIN numbers with anyone. All right, next up, Elon Musk and Twitter. A group of shareholders in the United States is suing Elon Musk, accusing him of manipulating markets and forcing Twitter's share price lower. What is the crux of the argument here? All right, if you've been following what we've been talking about in the past few weeks, Elon Musk has been going back and forth multiple times about what he wants to do and the deal at some point seemed like it might not happen. This is essentially what they are complaining about. Elon Musk just using these headlines, the media he's creating, the publicity around the deal and in some cases just alluding to how he might walk away from the deal to push down the stock price. So that's, I think, one of the main accusations coming up from the lawsuit against him that he is in this way or fashion trying to unfairly bring down the price of Twitter by pulling all these what they call stunts. So something that he's going to be facing in court potentially. So Elon Musk has been claiming that his acquisition of Twitter can only move forward once he has more data about the percentage of Twitter users that are bots. But he waived the due diligence when he first made his take it or leave it offer to Twitter, the board, last month. And since then, after initially surging, Twitter's share price has tanked and investors in the lawsuit say, hey, this is in due in no small part to Musk's public criticisms of the company. Now, they also allege that Musk made an unfair profit when he first announced plans to buy Twitter. Now, how did that pan out? Yeah, so we are talking something to the tune of apparently more than four or $156 million. And it was all around disclosures. You might remember there were headlines coming out around Twitter when he disclosed that he was one of the major shareholders, if not the largest at some stage in Twitter. And this was around 10% 
from around 5%. So typically when you own a huge stake, you need to disclose to the public that, hey, I'm a major shareholder. So what they are saying is he failed to do so at a much earlier stage than he was supposed to. And that led to him being able to just front run everyone and just make some profit ahead of the announcement by buying up more shares before people even knew it was happening. And this is something he's also going to have to face. No, Did he actually mean to do that? And also the form apparently that he used was meant for passive investors, the filing of the SEC. So they say it's misleading because at the time when he disclosed the holdings in Twitter, he was already talking to Twitter to buy the company. So he was not deemed an, a passive investor, according to them, a more active investor. So he used the wrong form. So mm. basically, disclosures were not in line. Do you think these allegations of market manipulation are going to stand up in court? Will the world's richest man be able to buy the best lawyer? Ah. So I guess it could play out for a very long time. So it could be in court, but I'm not sure what the end result will be. But I'm sure it will be something that will be dragged out for a long time. <laughs> One more note about Twitter and Musk. With interest rates rising, Musk's bankers are potentially looking at a loss on their loans. They agreed to a maximum interest rate of 11.75%. But given current market conditions, if they decide to sell their financing, they may need to do so at higher interest rates that's going to cut into their own fees. Musk's financiers include Morgan Stanley, the Bank of America and others. All right, at the top of the broadcast, I promised you three stories of scams and market manipulation. We've covered two. I've got my own scam story I'll share with you later. Somebody wants me to, wants to include my story in their book, but the email was addressed to Mr. Michelle Martin. <laughs> what a giveaway. <laughs> All right, let's move on into Henan province where consumers are being denied access to their bank accounts. Billions of yen are at risk and this could end up being one of China's largest financial scams. What is going on here? Yeah, when it comes to China, you won't expect to see crowds protesting because that is just not China. You know, people don't really go in public and just hold up the picket signs. It's just not China. But this time around, it looks like a very different scenario. You've got protesters outside the local office of a regulator. In this case, the China Banking and Insurance Registry Commission in Zhengzhou City, they are carrying signs that read, Return My Savings, amongst other signs. So that's what's happening. And it's all because of what you pointed out, a scam apparently involving what's known as Henan Sing Taifu Group Investment Holding. So that is a private investment firm with stakes in four banks. Mm. Apparently, those bank employees illegally worked with that group to attract public funds via online platforms. So you've got a huge sum of money, tens of billions of yuan in funds involved. So this is something that authorities say they are looking very closely and investigating. Well, speaking of protests and the Chinese DNA, I just read this terrific book by Yu Hua called China in 10 Words, a series of 10 essays that depict China's psyche. And the first essay really is about people, around the word people, and he talks about Tiananmen Square and contrasts that with another protest that happened later in China's history. And it just is beautiful, his depiction of people standing up in China and how that's done across history. All right, onwards now to the U.S. markets. Yesterday on the show, we talked about how some positive retail sales numbers were boosting sentiment, and that story continued into last night's trading action as well. We saw companies like Macy's, 
Dollar General, Dollar Tree, reporting strong earnings, even raising their profit forecast. So what have we learned and what are the lessons here? <laughs> it's an interesting few weeks for retailers. First, we kick things off with Walmart and Target, painting a rather gloomy, uncertain picture about how consumers may be holding back on spending. Then things start to get a bit mixed with the round last week when we got Best Buy and many other retailers also painting a rather mixed picture. And now we've got a slightly more upbeat outlook where you've got the likes of Macy's. Their shares up 19% and they are confident enough to raise their profit outlook for this year. You've got the likes of discount retailer Dollar Tree up nearly 22% after beating on its earnings. And I think not surprised there where you've got maybe more people in this current landscape moving towards more discount items. So I think discount retailers have been enjoying the change in consumer patterns, house brands, stuff that people might want on a cheaper price or value. So that's the change in consumer mix or consumer patterns. And if you look at what Costco is reporting after the bell, they have also beat estimates for quarterly revenue and profit. And this was boosted by strong consumer spending on fresh food, home furnishings and fuel offerings. And this apparently was not enough though for a share price extended trading after hours down 2% because its margins were down 99 basis points. So that is victim of inflation or rising costs of everything. So Costco, despite higher sales, mm. could not get more profits. So that's a lesson to take away as well. Even though you can sell more, you might not make more. The US markets finished broadly higher overnight with roughly 90% of the stocks in the S&P 500 closing in the green. Dollar Tree surged nearly 22% Macy's and Dollar General jumped almost as much. All right, time for corporate news. And we always invite you to play along with us here in Up or Down. Have a guess at Alibaba. Mm, I am going with down. And I think we saw this coming, right? Uh-huh. All the e-commerce sites just having a tough time in the post-COVID backdrop. And mm-hmm. Alibaba, full-year profit slumping nearly 60%. And I think it's one of his worst quarters, if not the worst in on record. Now, here is your prime representation of glass half, you know, filled and half empty. So I, I'm going to go with an up. And yes, Alibaba's profits are down 60%, but it's still better than expectations. So I'm going to give it an up. HSBC next, right? Mm, I'm going up and it's got itself in the news because it's considering an IPO of its Indonesia business. So it's aiming to target the growing investment demand in the country and I think it could go some way to just raising more interest in HSBC. I think if it does go public, it certainly would be an up for HSBC. Hourglass. Okay, Hourglass is an up and this is with its earnings showing a 75% rise in second half profit. People buying mechanical watches in a huge fashion. So that is seeing strong demand. Why such strong demand for watches now, Ryan, do you think? I think it's a bit of revenge spending when you had a bit of tough time trying to figure out what to do, where to go. And then now, hey, maybe they'll take some comfort in watches and maybe also as a form of gift, we see more people attend weddings, parties, and this could be one of those big ticket items people are willing to spend these days. And maybe the pay rises people, some people at least are getting, it could be also one of the drivers. Funny, isn't it? We just talked about how discount items were on the up Mm. over in the US and here you have luxury watches on the up as well. 
let's look at Wing Thai. All right, Wing Thai is going to be an up for me, and they have backed the Lakeside Apartments project for $273.9 million, mm. 14% above the reserve price. So that is going to give them the opportunity to redevelop it and possibly make it into a better project. It's going to be interesting to see what Wing Tai does with that tender to buy Lakeside Apartments. What are they going to build there? That's going to be interesting to see. Let's turn to Singapore now. The latest factory data is out and Singapore's output jumped 6% in April. Which companies are leading the way, right? All right. Let's take a look where we are taking the STI into consideration. We've got the Straits Times Index up 0.4% at 3000 221. So extending yesterday's gains of around 0.9%. Mm-hmm. And looking at the top movers, you've got the likes of Johnny Matheson right at the top, leading the pack up 2.3%, followed by Venture and Hong Kong Land. And we've got at the bottom, Singtel down 1.5%, followed by Comfort Delgro and SGX. And of course, Singtel just released their earnings this morning mm. and giving you a bit of recap on those earnings. It was rather solid. It did reflect that Singtel had a significantly higher profit in the second half because of a divestment gain. And that was from the sale of a 70% stake in Australia Tower Network. So net profit, second half was at $995 million. That's up from $88 million in the same period last year. And they've got revenue down 6.5% to $7.69 billion. And this was affected by lower equipment sales because of handset shortages and lower contributions from its pay TV unit. A bit of profit taking so far this morning. Yesterday, it had a huge bounce by over 3% because of reports indicating that it might sell a portion of its stake in Barty Airtel to the Mittal family. Mm. So that was up yesterday and it looks like plus the earnings this morning with some profit taking, Singtel leading the drop on the SDI. We are now 25 minutes into the local trading day. He's Ryan Huang. I'm Michelle Martin. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.